Слава Богу! Praise God! Praise God! Young people, this is great. We can read from God's word. We can think. I like how young people think and ask questions. When we get older, we sometimes stop asking questions, pretending we understand, and eventually we just pretend like we know everything, and that's not being mature. Because mature person actually asks questions in order to grow, in order to become more like Jesus, in order to make practical steps in his or her life with God. Before I preach, I'll ask you a question, okay? I'll ask you a question, and uh, then I'll read you a story, and then I'll do the sermon. So we'll separate those three. Well, first of all, those of you who understand Russian, can you raise your hand if you can read in Russian? Maybe not understand, okay, perfectly, but can read in Russian, right? Every time when we come to this building, to this auditorium, we read these words. Raise your hand if you understand these words. Okay, last hands, okay. So it says what? Let's read together the whole thing. So many people told me all kinds of funny explanations for the word se and then for the word ye. Um, I'm not gonna ask you questions about that. Well, my question is about the first part. It says, How do we translate that in English? Can you help me? Any versions for translation? Behold, I'm coming soon. Okay. Behold, I'm coming soon. My question for everyone would be to think on the span of time after these words were written in the Bible and nowadays. How many years passed since Jesus said these words? How many years? 2,000, approximately, right? So then the word soon, we even sing a song. Soon and very soon, right? We're going to see the king. How many people died? How many generations actually passed away? and they didn't see Jesus coming. My question is, how soon is soon? Okay. So think about that. Maybe if you have answered, help me understand this. How soon is soon? Jesus said, I'm coming, right? I'm coming, Poruski, skoro. How soon is that? And that's my question, so think about it. Now, my story is going to be from a book I hope it's Christian book, and I'm reading a short modern parable. So listen carefully. Before I read it, how many of you actually go to college? Currently, you're enrolled in college. Okay, how many of you get scholarships in college? Uh, okay, what for? <laughs> no, I'm not asking that. Okay, maybe for GPA, maybe because uh, you have uh, some athletic scholarship, I don't know. This is going to be about college. About two guys, Jordan and Wesley. Jordan and Wesley left the video store and drove up Legion Hill, where all the doctors and lawyers live. 
You never told me it was up here, said Wesley. Yeah, wait till you see it, said Jordan. Um, take a left here and then a right is the first house on the right. Wesley turned the car up a long driveway that led to the mansion. Whoa, check this place out. Man, you scored big time. Jordan just smiled. It really was a sweet deal. One of his professors was working on a book in Scotland and was letting Jordan stay in the house all summer, rent free. Yeah, he had a few jobs to do, mow the lawn, water the plants, pick up the mail and stuff like that, but it was definitely worth it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, said Jordan. Let me show you around the estate. He took Wesley on a tour of the garden, the pool, the game room, everything. So you just hang out here all summer? Man, I can't believe you. Pretty sweet, huh? Wesley just shook his head. Suddenly his eyes lit up. Hey, I've got an awesome idea. What's that? Let's throw a party. We'll get some kegs, invite some friends. I mean, it's all here. Swimming pool, whirlpool, sauna. Jordan walked over to the fridge to grab a soda. I can't do that. Man, I made a deal that I wouldn't let anyone in here. If a lot of people came over and word leaked out, well, let's just say it wouldn't be good. Why not? asked Wesley. What's the worst that could happen? I could lose my scholarship. Professor Willis is on my advisory committee. I'd lose my graduate assistantship for sure, and this is my senior year. No, I'd better not chance it. Come on, let's just watch the movie. Wesley shrugged his shoulders. Okay, whatever. But he didn't give up. As the summer wore on, Wesley kept bringing up the whole party thing, and Jordan kept telling him to forget about it. No one will ever know. Trust me, said Wesley. But Jordan would shake his head. We're not listening. Man, this place isn't mine. I'm just taking care of it until my professor gets back. But then summer passed and school began, and Jordan's professor didn't return. Don't you ever hear anything? asked Wesley. I used to, said Jordan. I got emails all the time at the beginning of the summer. I wonder what happened. September came and went. Still no word. You think maybe Dr. Willis died or something, asked Wesley. I mean, why else would anyone take this long? Jordan just shook his head. I really don't know. And that's when he st started seriously thinking about holding a party. Something terrible must have happened or else Dr. Willis would have been back by now. The school year was in full swing. I don't suppose Professor Willis is ever coming back, thought Jordan. And if that's the case, there is no sense letting this place go to waste. Why shouldn't I have a party? So the first weekend of October, he went up to Wesley. Okay, man, invite your friends. We're going to have a party, but you got to promise me they're not going to get too wild. And no minors, okay? Wesley smiled. No problem. Trust me. It'll be great. So that night, Wesley's friends came over, about 20 people in all. And they behaved themselves. They didn't stay too late. They didn't trash the house. No one got drunk. And the next day, Jordan surveyed the house. Nothing was broken. Just a few bottles left laying around the pool. Hmm. He thought, that wasn't so bad, and it didn't hurt anyone or anything. It was fun. Maybe we could have a few more people over next weekend. From then on, they partied every weekend. And for the most part, people behaved themselves. But each party got a little bigger and a little wilder. Fall slipped past. 
Winter came and went. Spring arrived. Still no professor. Still no word. Just more and more parties. One day, Jordan grinned. Let's pull out all the stops this Friday. We'll order a few dozen pizzas and have 50 kegs of beer. But how are we going to pay for all that, asked Wesley. I found a few of my professor's credit cards laying around. We'll just use those. So they did. And that night, more than 200 students came over. And it didn't take long at all for things to spill out of control. They made designs by pouring beer into the lush carpet. They busted windows, broke up the furniture, and drove their cars through the garden. The more drunk the people got, the less they wore into the swimming pool. Finally, in the middle of the night, one last car arrived. A woman stepped out and looked around at the students passed out on the lawn. She looked a little old to be coming to a frat party, but she walked up to the door anyhow and let herself in. A few people offered her a beer as she walked past the swimming pool. She declined. She looked around carefully and eventually made her way upstairs to the master bedroom. When she knocked, no one answered. The woman tried the door. It was locked, but that didn't matter. She had the key. She unlocked it and pulled open the door. And there was Jordan, drunk and half naked. She could have lost control. Finding her house in that condition would be enough to punish, to push most people over the edge. But she just walked over to the phone and quietly called the police. They took Jordan away that night, and the drinking charges were the least of his worries. Credit card fraud, vandalism. They read him the rights and explained. Uh, 10 to 20 years, they said, plus all the fines for the damage in the house. But he just snickered and shouted, what a party. He was too drunk to realize how busted he was. And before going to bed, Professor Willis ripped up Jordan's scholarship papers. Uh, sure, she felt a little sad about the house, but she felt worse about her student. She'd really liked him. It was a shame to lose a good student like that, especially so close to graduation. Oh, well, she said, he made his choice. And then she went to bed, and she didn't lose any sleep over Jordan, not even a wink. That was story nine, sir. Today we had the passage read from Mark and from Matthew on the same topic. And if you paid attention, it was about the last days or the last time. And Jesus is coming at the end of these days. So in Matthew chapter 24, we read about one important command from Jesus. He said to his disciples, he said to you and to me, be on the alert. Or in the translation that a brother was using, stay awake. My sermon today is uh, on the topic of how to stay awake in the times before the second coming of Jesus Christ. How to stay awake. I want to focus on that. Maybe it's not a big, deep theological thought, but I want something practical for us because I truly believe that we are near his second coming. In the passage that we read, Matthew 24, it says, For you don't know which day your Lord is coming. And then it repeats and says in verse 44, For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. 
It's not that we don't know, but even dates or assumptions that we make, uh, they are not in God's plans. The Bible is pretty clear. We, we don't even think that he's going to come at that time. And uh, when I looked in the dictionary for the antonym or the opposite meaning of the word alert, I found that um, the opposite of being awake, alert, is being careless. Obviously, the opposite of being awake is being sleepy, but being careless, that's the problem of young people especially. Being careless is actually very easy. You don't have to do anything. It's just a state, it's that, just that condition that comes to you if you're not paying attention to the reality, to the signs that God is giving to his people in the last days. Being careless, the scripture says here, is not being ready. In verse 43, if we look um, in Matthew chapter 24, verse, 20, uh, verse 43, uh, it's on the screen. Thank you so much. It says this, be sure of this, that if, he, if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. Brothers and sisters, we don't have control over the time or the day when Jesus is coming. That's a fact. No matter what we do, the scripture is teaching us that it's not our business to know that date. You can't be super spiritual. You can't listen to this series of uh, seminars on the book of Revelations and then finally figure out Jesus is coming during my lifetime or later or three generations later. You can't figure that out. Scripture is pretty clear. Angels don't know that. Nobody knows it. In fact, God, Father, is intentional in one thing, that people would not know when he is coming. He says that it's, he gives you an illustration. You can't control when the thief is coming. The only thing you, you can control is whether you're ready or not, whether you're awake or not. And that's, that's a, that makes a big difference because a lot of people, they are trying to figure out if this is the right time in my, in my life. Should I dedicate my life to Jesus now or do I have a little bit more time? And I want to say, even though it's not the meaning of the context, but I want to say that Jesus may come for you personally tonight. Maybe tonight is the last night that you hear my words. Maybe he's coming for me. What scripture tells us that we need to be on alert. And in Mark, it's very interesting that in Mark, it kind of expands the meaning of this parable. It says in uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 35, be on the alert for you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, right? That's the beginning of the night, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. So there are certain stages for some people that second coming or that coming, that last day, will be in the evening. 
or when the roosters crow. For a lot of people, it might be later. But we as young people, we tend to be careless. We think that we have so much time. We have a lot of time in ahead. We have a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of options. And I have to admit, for a long, long time, I'm not going to say, you know, what age I was when I turned that age, I, I realized, like, what am I waiting for? I have to actually live the life. I have to actually live like Jesus is coming right now, and I have to get things done in my life. So when you're 15, 16, 17, 25, don't think that you have too much time or a lot of time. You don't know the time. The scripture is clear about that. What we know is that we need to be ready and we need to be on alert. Can somebody say amen? amen. This is the scripture. I know it's sobering. I know it's something that might sound scary, but I don't feel like it's a scary thing. In fact, I think that God is good because he is giving us his warning. If you read these chapters when Jesus is talking to his disciples, basically what's he doing? He says, um, look around. Look at the signs. I'm giving you a warning. You don't know the exact date, but you can get ready while you know, you're observing things that happen around you. And um, when I say that Jesus, when Je Jesus can come to you or to me, I don't mean that you know, he's going to punish you. He's going to catch you because some people get so scared. Like, what if I commit a sin tonight and then I die? Do I go to heaven or not? Have you ever thought about that? Like, have you asked that question? Like, what if? Like, I live a perfect life, right? I thought that, that, that way. And then I do something stupid or maybe I'm not being, you know, on alert, on the alert, as the Bible says. And what if Jesus comes and, and I'm not ready? And that's a good concern. But I believe, I believe that Jesus, my Father, God Father, he's not trying to catch me, to trip me, to catch me when I'm off guard. He's doing everything, starting with giving his son as the sacrifice for my sins. He's done everything so that I can be ready. He's the most interested person. And he wants me to live and not to die. And so I do not believe that God is watching for you and trying to catch you when you commit a sin and then you die. What I'm saying here is that no matter whether people are good or bad, Christians, non-Christians, uh, born again, not born again, um, his coming may be quick. He can come and people may not be ready. And we have to be ready. So being on the alert, being on the alert means to be ready and believe. Do you believe that Jesus can come tonight? Some of you are like, yeah, maybe. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are scared. Like, seriously, I didn't live life yet. I mean, I, I, well, we don't know, like I said. God knows the time. The Bible even says that the Son of Man doesn't know the time. Um, God knows, God Father knows the time. But if you believe that, if you take that truth, if you accept that truth, then the next step, you can live and get ready. If you don't believe it, I'm going to preach on for the next 15 minutes and you, nothing's going to work from what I'm gonna, going to preach if you don't believe the first truth, that Jesus is coming and he will come unexpectedly 
He will come quickly and we need to be ready. So I ask you in the name of Jesus to believe the truth of the Bible. He is coming. Next uh, part is going to be on how to stay awake. If we understand that staying um, awake is not being careless, how can we get rid of that carelessness? How can we uh, stay sober? How can we stay on the alert? And I believe that um, as soon as we receive that first truth and we believe that Jesus is coming, the fight starts in our mind. And how it works in my life, it's not even the fight with the temptation yet. It's just the fight for staying awake. So many things, brothers, sisters, so many things in this world, they, Satan uses them to drug people or to intoxicate, if I can use that word, so that they can get drowsy and, and sleepy, spiritually speaking. And it's hard to fight that slipness or, or that um, drowsiness. Mark chapter 14, 38, right after Jesus um, told everyone to be on the alert, in a few days they go to this uh, garden of, the, of Gethsemane and um, you remember the story, he asks his disciples, can you stay with me? Can you be on the alert? He didn't even actually ask them to pray with him. Jesus went to pray before his crucifixion, but he didn't specifically uh, ask them to pray at first. And then second time he's coming and they are sleepy. And third time, and he says in verse 34, uh, 38, I'm sorry, 1438, Mark 1438. Keep watching, okay, stay alert, and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see here, this, this is physical fight with, with that uh, a sleepy uh, condition of the body. But he also, Jesus also teaches us that we need to stay awake spiritually. We need to fight for that. It's not going to come easy. A lot of things, a lot of people around you will say stuff like, you are entitled for happiness. You do you. You be you. Um, all kinds of stuff that makes people sleepy and relaxed and careless. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26, when Apostle Paul writes to the church, he says, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Again, the illustration of being unexpected. While they are saying peace and safety. Okay, who is saying peace and safety? Who is saying peace? Is Christians saying? Bible saying peace and safety? People around us, they will say, just relax. Why are you so anxious about something, you know? You feel empty, do this, do that. Listen to your heart, okay? Listen, what kind of desires you have? You have to live this life. You have only one life to live. When they say peace and safety, the Bible say, 
then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. And then he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief again. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. The condition, the main condition of this world is a deep sleep. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Sorry, this is chapter 5 of First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. So let us be alert and what? Say louder. Sober. Right? Interesting that these words are kind of like lumped together, being alert and being sober. But I believe this is, obviously this is intentional. This is what the Bible teaches us. And who is a sober person? It's just regular definition. Who is sober? How can we say that this person is sober? Is Andre sober? He, yeah, he says he's sober. Okay, sober. Okay, what's the opposite of being sober? Being drunk, right? So sober person is not under influence, right? Or not under, not affected by alcohol, right? Can we say that? And, and by the way, this, this is actually an interesting word. This is an interesting message. I know that some of us may ask these questions about drinking alcohol. I'm speaking literally right now. Or, or taking drugs and stuff. But if you read this, the scriptures say we need to stay sober. Even if you want to stay spiritually sober. How can you stay spiritually sober when you're physically drunk? Can you stay spiritually sober? Pray in tongues? <laughs> no. It's pretty clear that we, as children of the light, we need to stay sober, not affected including alcohol, but not affected in a broader sense of this word by all kinds of things. And the scripture tells us and lists all these things that impair our clear thinking. We should not be under influence of anything, brothers and sisters, that impairs or affects our spiritual um, clarity and thinking. And it may be something that feels good. Even... I don't want to point fingers, but even at the time when somebody falls in love, I told you this story many times, but one older church member, brother from our church, actually he passed away and he's with the Lord. He told me, don't love your future wife more than you love the Lord. And I was like, yeah, of course. But then when you fall in love, have to admit, I'm married almost 15 years uh, this, this is one of those conditions where we have to be sober. We have to still focus more on Jesus. We cannot be worshiping any idol in our life. So being on alert means believing that Jesus is coming and trying everything what you can do. I'll talk about this in a minute. To stay sober, to keep your mind clear. Okay? I don't know what you're thinking about right now. But if there is some kind of annoying thought that is coming back to you again and again, whether it's about a person or a thing or a sin or whatever, you are not be thinking clearly. 
You might be periodically, you might have these good feelings coming to the Lord, worshiping, listening to his word. But if there's something in your life and you know that something's wrong, be um, honest before the Lord. Being humble before the Lord, that's being honest, first of all. So when you're honest and you say, Lord, I'm weak, or I can't do this, I need your grace, I need your help, God is able to bring you back to the reality because sober person is in touch with the reality. Spiritually sober person is in touch with God because God is the real, the real, real, real truth. Can we say amen? So being sober in another way to say that being in touch with the living God who knows what's real, what's not real. Things that we'll see in this world, they seem to be like real, but a lot of stuff is fake. A lot of people are fake. A lot of people in the church, I don't want to say that, not a lot, but some people in the church may be fake. We read in the scripture, we just had communion on Sunday. In the scripture, Jesus, his disciples, 12 disciples, here's the most, the holiest thing in the world, communion. And one of the people is his traitor. He betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot, and everybody else preparing for the communion. Do you know what they're talking about? Who is greater? Who is the greatest? Peter is the greatest, you know. So people in the church are in the same way. We come to the church with our motives, with our things. But when we open up before God, when we get back in touch with the real God, with the truth, we, that sobriety, that soberness, sobriety, I think, being sober comes back to us and we understand what is true and what is not. And that's a question for you today. Are you in touch do you have those relationships with the Holy Spirit? Do you have those relationships with God, with his word? By the way, the role of the word, the role, the importance of God's word. If you say that you love God more than his word, you're lying. You cannot love God and not love his word. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm better or anything. I'm measuring my attitude to the Lord, my spirituality, but my, by my engagement with his word, by my knowledge of the word. How can we say that we respect God, that we worship the Lord and not read his word? He said at the beginning was word, okay? Jesus himself is the word. So when I open this word, I get back in touch with the reality. My focus, I, I get focused on the right stuff, on the right things. If you want to get sober, if you want to get back to the, your prayer life, if you want to, if you never had prayer life, and you just periodically, you're kind of like swimming, drowning, and then swimming up and, and, and taking that uh, breath of fresh air, if you want to have regular, continuous walk with Jesus, you need to regularly study his word. May God bless you in that. We have um, five minutes and I'm going to finish and we'll pray. So being sober means you know what's real and you know what to do. You ask a drunk person, what should we do next? Drunk person person under influence doesn't know. 
they don't know what they need to do in life. There are so many spiritually drunk people, people who do not know what's the priority in life, who don't know where to go. They don't know where they're heading in life and they can't help anyone. And then you grow up and then you become, you know, you get married and that's going to be your life, brothers, sisters. In six months, in one year, in several years, you're going to be that person for whom your wife or your husband will be looking up at and, and asking for direction. And we need to make sure that we stay sober. So the scripture says here in this passage, in both passages, but let me um, look at the Mark, yes. Mark uh, chapter 13, verse 34. It says, it's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert, therefore be on the alert. So listen, he says, here's the illustration. It's not just you stay away. Why? Because it's a long night. It's a New Year's night. You have to stay away. No. Well, even the New Year's night has a purpose, so no offense. But he says... There is something that everyone, it says, assigning to each one his task. Do you know what task you have in life? Do you know what Jesus assigned for you to do? And here he says what it starts with. He says, putting his slaves in charge. So he has many servants. God's people in the church, a lot of us servants of the Lord. But he put every one of you in charge. If you look in the original, maybe that translation that our brother was leading, uh, reading from, it says that he gave the authority. Okay, listen. Jesus gave authority to you and to me. In Russian it says, dal vlast. I have the authority, I have the power. And the scripture is pretty clear that for those who are born again, for his children, he gave the right the same word, authority, exousia, I checked the original, the same word that it says here, he gave or put them in charge, exousia, gave them this authority to do something, okay? Now you're in charge. Listen, every one of you, you're in charge. In charge of what? In charge of making decisions, okay? Don't make excuses. Don't say, oh, I don't know. I'm too scared. I don't know which way to go and... God gave you the authority. He put you in charge of your life, first of all. You have that exousia. You have that right. If you are born again, there's no excuse for anyone to say that I don't know my calling. I don't know. If you don't know, look in the Bible, pray, seek for his answer. God has something for everyone. Can we say amen? And he said... He put them in charge, assigning to each one his task. So it's not just waiting without a purpose. God's grace is not giving without a purpose. Did you know that? God's grace? God doesn't give grace like, here's my grace. I love you all. Every time God sends his favor, his grace, there is a purpose for that. So if you're praying... For God's blessing, for God's grace, the question is why? What for? And the answer is, if he gave you this 
right, this authority to do his will, to work for his kingdom, to be in his body. If you know that, then of course God's grace is coming. But if your life is purposeless, if you don't know the purpose, then God's grace is sent only for one purpose, to bring you back to Christ. Can we say amen? God's grace is not given just for like, oh, I love you, God is love. That's all messed up, perverted thinking worldview of this world, of the modern world. And so to stay on the alert, to be awake, means to believe that Jesus is coming. Believe that I have to be sober. I don't have much time. I don't know how much time is left for me, for the church, for this earth. And it means to know what I have to do in life. And you might ask a question, so what exactly do I have to do? And the answer, I don't know. I know what the Bible says here, we just read. If we read carefully, and I encourage you to come back home and read these two passages. I didn't choose them just, you know, for the sake of reading. It actually says in Matthew, I'm jumping from Mark to Matthew, that verse 45, uh, 24, 45, that who is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household? Again, put in what? Charge, right? Gave authority, gave a task to give them their food at the proper time. Listen, God gave you something so that you can share that with others and feed them. But you cannot feed others. You cannot share something that you do not have. First of all, you have to feed your soul. First of all, you have to start reading his scripture. And that I'm sure that for some of you, it's your siblings who you need to feed. For some of you, it's even your parents who you need to pray for and to feed them. For some of you, it's, I don't know, students in the school, youth uh, members, whoever, and wh whatever God has for you in mind, it's beautiful. I know I'm sure for that. But you need to start asking questions and saying, Lord, what's my place? What do I need to do? And very often, this is a different topic. I know we have to pray, but very often it's the very first thing that you have in your hands, in your skills, in your toolbox, figuratively speaking. Look at Moses, for example. Moses is walking in the desert. And God says, what do you have in your hand? A staff, a rod, a staff, right? Palka. Start with that. Throw it to the ground. He throws that on the ground. It turns into a snake. And the miracles start. It doesn't have to be super spiritual gift. Maybe you have a talent to think creatively. Ask the Lord, God, where exactly you want me to serve? Because like I said, in order to be on the alert, it's not just that you have to stay awake, listen to all the sermons, to all the podcasts and good uh, uh, worship. You have to be active in your youth, in your young life. You have to serve other people. You have to feed others. And I'm not rushing you. I'm not saying that you have to start preaching right away and or, or maybe go, you know, on the streets. I'm just saying that you need to get sober. I need to get sober. Come back to the point where I say, Jesus, send me. Use me. I want to preach your uh, word. Because in this First Timothy, it says, he gave me the spirit, not the spirit of timidity, okay, cowardness, but the spirit of power, 
okay? That authority, that power, love, and self-control, or sober mind. Again, how can I stay sober? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He can help me to stay focused on that reading of the Bible, on that task in my life, staying away from temptation. As Jesus said, keep your watch, pray, because otherwise you will be tempted when he spoke to the disciples. I'm finishing here. Maybe I said too many things, maybe uh, not enough for you, but I hope that the Holy Spirit will continue working in your heart. I, I truly hope that this generation, our generation, we can do much for God's glory. said that the Father will be glorified if we bring much fruit, if we love others, if we show that we're his disciples, if we show that we are different. And when I see young people, I see how Christians are different. You guys are different. There's something different about you. There's something different because Jesus Christ lives in you. Amen? Jesus Christ lives in you. He's coming to get you. When it says, as a thief, he's going to steal you from this world. Amen? He's going to find you because you're the most precious. You're the most uh, valuable thing in this world. So when we pray today, uh, tonight, I will pray with you. God, forgive me if I was uh, careless. Lord, forgive me if I forgot what I promised. I committed my life to you. I was water baptized. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I forgot about it. I kind of lost uh, the priorities in, uh, in, in my life. Please get me back on the right path as David was praying and teach me 